The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit RestorationSouthside.org. Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip, and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. You may be seated. If you are in kindergarten through fifth grade and you would like to go to Children's Church, please join our volunteers over by the Kids Zone sign. If it's your child's first time in Children's Church, please go with them so we can get them checked in. Thank you, Katie. Good morning. If you're new here, my name is Jared. I'm also on staff here at Restoration Southside, and we're so delighted that you're here with us. A relatively new church. It started on uh, April of 2019, and so two years and six months maybe. Um, And what a two years and six months it's been. So um, I assure you, we still feel very new, uh, and we'd love to have you join us. Uh, If you have any questions about that, I'll be standing at the back. Um, after the service, come by and say, hey. We found ourselves uh, in the story of Mark. Mark is Peter's narrative of the gospel. Uh, Mark is actually John Mark, and we have strong evidence to believe that it's sort of Peter's recounting to Mark of what happened, sort of because of the detail that Mark has in it. Um, So I'll say this before we dive in. I don't want you to feel bad for me because I love my job. I actually probably like my job more than a lot of people get to like their job. But one of the difficult aspects of my job is that regardless of how faithful and holy and godly I have been in a week, I still have to stand up and tell you to be faithful and holy and godly. And some weeks that's harder to do than others. And this is one of those weeks. Part of why that is, in the back of my mind, I am convinced if you're following Jesus enough, you won't have big sin in your life. You won't have addictions anymore. The problems will be fading into the background. The mess will be being tidied up and you'll be getting a lot better. And we tend to think like that. And then when we start to think, yes, the gospel of grace was free, but I haven't made as much progress as I thought I would, and we start to feel overwhelmed and burdened. And that's where I'm at this morning. No matter how many times I remind myself of the fact that Jesus chooses nobodies, I then somehow lose track of that and start to think, if I'm not somebody, Jesus won't choose me. 
Some of you this morning need to be reminded of that, that Jesus calls whoever He wants to call. And this morning we're going to talk about just what that looks like. Jesus calls 12 nobodies to Himself. Let's pray and ask God to bless our study of His Word this morning, please. Lord, would You have mercy on me, a sinner. Despite how... Uh, I say that each week. It often feels like I'm being judged account of my wins or losses. Instead, I'm judged account of Jesus' righteousness. And I pray that You will emblazon that on our hearts this morning by Your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Some of you may not be aware of this, and I would be surprised if you were, but about 17 years ago, uh, they started a new tradition at the Mardi Gras. 17 years ago, they decided that they would have a dog parade at the Mardi Gras. And part of the reason that they wanted to have this dog parade is one of the women from the previous year had brought her dog, Queen Sylvia, this mutt, this one-eyed, three-legged dog, to participate in the Mardi Gras parade. And when she got there, people reacted and booed like nobody wants to see that ugly little dog in the parade. You're bumming us all out. And she was so heartbroken that she decided for the next year to start her own parade in Mardi Gras, a dog parade. And each year, they gather all the dogs up and you send in the photos and the judges choose the ugliest dog that turns in an application. And that ugly, ugliest dog, I mean, come on, gets to lead the parade. This, this idea that she wanted her friends and the other dogs of New Orleans to experience is, is that the unlovely and the left out should be chosen so that everyone can know that their dog is welcome. That is exactly what's going on here when Jesus chooses this is 12. He chooses the broken, the left out, the sinful, so that everyone will know what kind of people Jesus chooses. It is a non sequitur to think of yourself as a good person and a Christian. The whole point you were chosen is because you're not a good person. And you're like, yeah, I know. But hold on. Then we go on and judge each 24-hour cycle based upon whether or not we're being good people. So the measure in which we're measuring our Christendom is based upon the opposite of the idea of why we were chosen. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. One of my mentors said this, of course He chooses the lowly. It's the lowly who will be lifted. Of course He chooses a few because He cares about the few. Of course He chooses the outsider because the gospel goes where human religion doesn't. 
Of course he chooses nobodies because in his kingdoms, nobodies are treated like somebodies. God's choice of these 12 men give hope to nobodies like you and me. That's what we're going to talk about this morning, what we learn from the 12 nobodies Jesus chooses. The first thing we learn is that Jesus calls these 12 nobodies into chaos. Jesus calls these 12 nobodies into chaos. If you would, please, let's glance at verses 7 through 12, sorry, 6 through 12 together. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. And Jesus withdrew to his disciples, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. And when the great crowd heard about all he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. The first thing we're going to learn this morning is that Jesus calls his disciples into chaos. Chaos. These guys have no idea what they're getting into. You know, they're still in the early days here with Jesus where it seems like everything, every time Jesus does something or every time Jesus says something, the crowd triples and it looks like they're winning and it looks like they're going to have a name. They're going to be important. They have no idea to the chaos that they've been called into. They think Jesus is their, their magic ticket to popularity. They don't know what they're being called into. That the chaos will continue even after they start following Jesus. And friends, Jesus calls you into chaos too. Now, if you're not following Jesus, let me be clear. When you begin to follow Him, there is peace and comfort of the Gospel of your soul. And there is the reality that you're not alone. So I don't want to talk you out of following Jesus because of the chaos that He's calling you into. There is comfort and peace in that inward sense that you're loved and accepted and nothing will ever change that. And that said, Jesus is not calling you or those of us who are already following Him into a comfortable life. He's not calling you into a comfortable life. Over and over again, we try and take the gospel that has rescued us and say he's rescued us. Now he loves us and he he's going to give us a future and a hope someday. But until we're there, life should be getting a little bit better each day. Sort of this slow climb of comfortability in this life. And that's not what Jesus calls his disciples into. He calls them into chaos. Specifically in this context, Jesus says that, excuse me, Mark says that the Pharisees went out and held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. The Pharisees and the Herodians hate each other, but they hate Jesus even more. 
And then you see this crowd who really want Jesus because he's a magic trick man. They want him to fix all their current problems. They're not interested in hearing him teach as much. They want him to be their boo-boo fixer. And then not only that, these crowds who don't really understand what he's after, then they also have these unclean spirits, things that we kind of just run past because we don't like to think about it, but human beings who are distorted by demons with voices and power and strength, and it would, it would horrify us to look at it, and they're, they're crying out to Jesus. So he has those that hate him, and those that want to take advantage of him, and those that want to ruin what he's trying to do. And that's the mission he's calling these 12 guys into. Following Jesus will not get easier over time. One of my friends says this, following Jesus never leads to a neat and manageable life. I'm sorry to bum you out. We think the longer we follow Him, the more comfortable we, be, we will be. And yet this to the one who tells us to pick up our cross daily and follow Him. This one who says, go and sit in the unimportant place. This one who says, you need to have faith like a child, not like a nuanced adult. This one who says, you will really get to know Jesus because you will suffer and share in His sufferings. This one who says that the devil is out there prowling, roaming around like a roaring lion looking to devour those that follow Jesus. Disciples of Jesus, part of why our faith and this world seem so incongruent is because we keep expecting this world to feel neat and manageable. Expecting your life to feel neat and manageable. And Jesus says clearly, I'm calling these guys, these 12 guys, into chaos. He's in control. But chaos of knowing they will be opposed. And when you are called into following Jesus, you immediately make three new enemies. The devil, the world, and your own flesh. That means... Inside of your own heart, you immediately had these two things that are warring with each other. I want to do what's good, but I always choose what is bad. Does that sound familiar? You're called to be hated for His namesake. That if you were to make your faith public in this day, people would laugh at you. You, know, you really believe in all that Santa Claus stuff? And that the devil, because specifically because you follow Jesus, will hunt you, will tempt you, will try and woo you away to whatever it is that he can to keep you looking at your sin or your shame or anything else instead of staring at Jesus. He has called you disciple into chaos. The challenge of that for the Christian, is, is to reset your expectations. Maybe the chaos you're experiencing right now when you walk out of here is part of the chaos that He has purposefully called you in to be faithful to. Stop thinking that all the chaos will go away. He's called us into chaos, but that He will be faithful with us in the chaos.
Not only has He called these 12 men into a place where they're receiving opposition, they're being taken advantage of, in fact, they're even being hunted by the devil, He's also called them to a specific mission. Look with me, please, in verse 13 through 15. It says this, And He went up on the mountain and called to Him those whom He desired, and they came to Him, and He appointed twelve, whom He also named apostles, so that they might be with Him, and He might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Now, it's kind of lost on our modern ears, but these, these Pharisees and the groups of the people in the town would have known as they were, tri- as they were Israelites, they would have known when you hear the number 12 in a spiritual context, your head pops up. And the reason that was is because in the Old Testament, when God lays out the 12 tribes of Israel, it was going to be those 12 tribes who were going to be His special people, His chosen people, not because of anything they had done, but because He had chosen them. He had laid His love on them. And so when Jesus here takes a crowd of people out away and says, I'm going to choose 12 of you, their ears would have perked up and said, oh, this is the new Israel. These are the new leaders. the original audience would have heard it. It would have been like, it's time. It's time. And then it walks through one by one who He's chosen. And we think, these are the dudes you chose to change the world? And we'll get into more of that in a second. But make no mistake, this could look just like a list of names. This is Jesus saying, and now I will inaugurate my kingdom by choosing nobodies. Because guess who will follow nobodies? A bunch of other nobodies. Messed up, bankrupt, sinful people. These are nobodies. And what does He call them to do? Listen to it one more time. He appointed 12 that they might be with Him. The first thing they invite Him to do is to be with Jesus. It means they're inviting friendship in with Jesus. Jesus says, hey, come and watch me. We'll spend these three years together. Come and be my friend. And I will know you and you will know me. And the first thing that you're being invited into as a disciple, or to be reminded if you're already a disciple of Jesus, is that you're supposed to be friends with Jesus. That He cares about the anxieties that keep you up at night. That the burdens that you're bearing, He knows and He sees you. That the sin that you're wrestling with, He's with you and He will comfort you. And if you fail, He will encourage you and pick you back up. That we're supposed to experience friendship with Jesus. He appointed twelve that they might be with Him. We act as if Jesus is this referee far away who's sort of just judging as we go. Oh, missed that one. Got that one. When it says that He he could have done all of what He did without having 12 guys who are nobodies follow Him around, but He wanted you to know that part of following Jesus is the friendship of Him. He could have done it without them. He wanted us to see that despite their many, many flaws, He still wants relationship with them. And for you, you're supposed to hear, despite your many, many flaws, He wants relationship with you, friendship with you. He says, follow me. Jesus, this is really hard. I know. 
Follow me. Jesus, I messed up. I know. Follow me. Jesus is so discouraging sometimes. I know. Follow me. Because He can see where it's all going and we can't. He can see how we're being transformed and even when we can't see it. And He's saying, follow me. I'm giving you the chance to be with me. Be with me in your marriage. Be with me in your career. Be with me in your parenting. Be with me in your loneliness. Be with me in your struggles. He's inviting us to introduce ourselves to Jesus and befriend Him. And not just ourselves. He says this, that they might be with Him and that He might send them out to preach. Send them out to preach. That means the mission of a Christian is to be with Jesus and to introduce people to Jesus. Now, we don't have to do it as generations before have done it and walk around and think everybody cares what we have to say and hand out tracts and smack people over the head with the Bible. We can do it slow and nuanced and meaningfully and prayerfully and gain credibility. So don't hear me say that, yes, get to know Jesus and then go around and start hitting everyone you know with Him. But what I am saying is that the mission of God's people is to introduce those who are nobodies to Jesus. And if you're sitting there and thinking, trust me, the things that I've done in my past, the things that not everybody even knows about, the things that I'm still struggling with, Jesus would not be interested in someone like me. My friend, as you're about to see, that's exactly the kind of person that he's interested in. He's interested in the sick and the broken and the lost and the lonely. And that's why he chose these guys. So that when you're staring at these 12 guys thinking, okay, these are the kind of people who Jesus wants around him so that you will go, oh man, Jesus has a poor taste in people. That's exactly right. It's like the bad news bears and the island of misfit toys all put together. So what would it look like for us to introduce people to Jesus? Well, for my generation and younger, there's the the idol of our generation. The, The thing that we worship is experience. Meaning there's been generations before us and they, their idol would have been freedom or independence or success. Meaning I'll know when I have enough, when I finally my bank account's full and I have all of the toys that I want and I'm actually being known of for how successful I am. And we want those things too, but not if it costs us our experience. That's why Instagram, which I'm on, is so important to us. We look back and you can sort of flip through the moments where you were like, yes, that was life. It was good. Memories, friendship, craft beer, craft workouts, the best hikes, the most expensive bikes. We want to live a life that no one else could be living. And where I think we have an inroad with the generation around us is because we could use, we could take that idol and re-surrender it to Jesus. And take those very things that we love and are good and take people with us to introduce them to Jesus. Meaning to go on the hikes, go on the bikes, go to yoga, go to CrossFit, go to beer tasting, go to, to, to uh, 
these special places where you can jump into a waterfall and take people with you and introduce them to Jesus slowly and with nuance and prayerfully and over time. And what we're saying to them is, yes, life can be this good, but guess what? It's even better than you know. So he calls them into chaos. Pick up their cross daily and follow them. That means for you, Christian, if it feels like a cross, you're in the right place. And then he calls them into mission and picks 12 tribes and says, your job is to be with Jesus and to go introduce people to Jesus. And that's what we're called to do, to be with Jesus and to go introduce people to Jesus. And then lastly, he calls them into chaos, calls them onto mission, and he calls them, though they're seriously unqualified. Listen to verse 16 to 19. He appointed them 12, Simon to whom they gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James to whom he gave the name Boarginus, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. When we read a list like this, it's easy for us to think, oh, that was, that was this list of honor. The people that got to uh, know and love and follow Jesus, but that's not why Mark puts it in here. The reason that Mark puts in these names, and some of them are weird names that he has to put in parentheses and sort of exclaim, uh, explain away why, or explain to them why they would have been there. When the people in the first generation would have seen this, they would have been like, those guys? That, really? Peter? James and John, that guy? I know his mom, that guy's a mess. The, the list of names is to attract their ordinariness and their what a messness. Somebody did this funny thing where they took um, like a management consultant company as if Jesus had asked, hey, these are the 12 applicants to follow me and would you mind running them through this, this battery of tests to see if these guys are worth it? And they write this, to Jesus, son of Nazareth. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience and managerial ability and capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The, true, the two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel that it is our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. And James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, definitely have radical leanings. And they both registered a high score on the manic depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential, highly motivated, ambitious. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. It's lost on our ears. But when Jesus chooses these guys, the purposes of it, the purpose of it is for those in the outside world to say, if Jesus can transform these guys, then there's hope for me. That's what Paul says. 
when Paul's talking beautifully about how he's the chief of sinners, meaning no one has ever been, Christian or non-Christian, no one has ever been as bad as Paul. And Paul says, it was for this reason that I was shown mercy, so that anyone who looks in can say, if God can save Paul, then certainly God can save me. He chooses them because he knows that they will mess up. And he doesn't want us standing on the outside saying only good people get in with Jesus. In fact, when he chooses them, in just a few few short chapters, all 12 of them will disappear into the dark. That's how mature they got in three years. Peter will at some point say, We've left everything to follow you. What will there be for us? Mark records James and John coming to teacher and saying, we want you to do whatever we ask. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And they replied, let us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. And Jesus, I imagine smirked, but it says, he, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. And then Mark comes to the bottom of this list and says, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Which means in the chaos that he's calling you to, he still knows where it's going. He still is in total control of the chaos that he's called you to. One of my favorite preachers, no longer a preacher, but he says this, those most qualified to speak on a subject are those most familiar with it. We falsely believe that you have to be good to talk about Jesus. Then he said, there's only two organizations in the entire world where you have to be bad to get in. One is the mafia, And two is the church. If the biggest sinner you know isn't you, you don't know yourself very well. And then he said this, and this is my favorite line of the whole thing. Good people make bad missionaries. Good people make bad missionaries. And here's why that is. If you think of Jesus Jesus as the custodian of your life, Yes, I was overwhelmed a bit. And, and then he came in and he brought order and tidiness and cleaned up some messes. He's just great. I, I'm a big fan. He's great. It'll have that lukewarmness to it. On the other hand, think of these 12 men. Think of yourself. If you say, Jesus, he has seen the darkest, most shameful aspects of my life. And he has looked me in my eye and said, that's okay, I'm come for you. And you're mine now. And I will never let anyone take you from me. And here's my record and I'll take your record. And we're going to be friends forever. And until we get to that point, I'm going to walk with you and listen to you and meet your needs. And then you ask that person who is a total mess and had no help but Jesus, you ask that person if they want to talk about him and they can't help it. They can't help it. Bad people make good missionaries. But if you're like me, why it's even hard to stand up today 
and preach to you is because we think after a while we should have gotten it together, we should have put away all the bad habits, we should have put into practice all the good habits, that we should be getting better by now. But we're rushing. These guys follow Jesus around for three years, and then they ask Him if they can sit at His right and left in glory. They're a mess. You will change, friend. But over time, we need to be thinking about our sanctification in five and ten year increments. Let me say that again. We need to be thinking about the way that God changes us slowly over time in five and ten year increments, not in 24-hour periods or months. Yes, you're not there yet, but you're different than you were five years ago. They do change. Even the disciples Peter, who we just make fun of all the time, says this after the three years of following Jesus and then the lifetime, the lifetime of giving his life away for Jesus. He says this, For we did not follow cleverly designed stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. What he's saying is, is that it took a long time. But now we're so in awe of Jesus and the fact that we get to be friends with Jesus that we just want to tell other people about Jesus. And you'll never tell other people about Jesus unless He has done something that's transformed your whole life. So your badness is your shortcut into understanding just how loved you are. We'll close here. Yesterday, I had all five of my children at one of Cormac's soccer games in Cleveland, Tennessee. It's a lot. Let me preface this by saying Aaron's car keys for the van have been destroyed um, because one of my kids, I won't tell you which one, but it sounds like Cormac, he body slammed in rage the keys and the clicker burst and so now you can actually see the battery all the time and there's no buttons i mean there's little things you can push in on but there's no buttons anymore and so aaron and i passed this back and forward at, forth as her keys so we're in cleveland and we've been at the first soccer game going to lunch at chick-fil-a and then going back to the second soccer game aaron is in atlanta with a friend and so I try and manage some of the chaos of the van and I say, hey, everybody grab the chips and grab the empty Coke bottles and the water and all of the disgusting things that you see around you. Let's all grab it. And so we all grab our arms full and I still have the clicker in my hand. And I walk into Chick-fil-A and I use the, the touchless trash can and, and it opens up and I dump everything into the trash can. And then I realize I hear the clicker fall into the trash can. And you think, oh, well, I guess of all places, Chick-fil-A isn't the worst place to dig a key out of the trash can. But my friends, you have forgotten about the milkshake. <laughs> Yesterday, I get down on my knees, propping open the thing, and I start to pull out Chick-fil-A trash and milkshake in the middle of a global pandemic. And Brian, the manager, comes over and goes, what's going on, man? And I was like, 
I know, I know. My key's somewhere at the bottom. And Brian gets down on his knees with me, gets a new bag, and we start to pull out mush and drop it into the new bag until we make it all the way to the bottom and find the clicker. Because Aaron's in Atlanta, and we're in Cleveland, Tennessee for a soccer tournament. I can't even get all my kids home back to Chattanooga unless we find this thing. I told Brian I was going to find a place to review him online so that he would know that he is the greatest Chick-fil-A manager in history. When something really matters to you, nothing gets in the way of you finding it. You will move heaven and earth. You will go through Chick-fil-A trash to find what you're looking for, what you need. And Jesus is saying to this people, I have found these 12 so that the millions upon millions upon millions who are more like this 12 than they are like me will know that I will stop at nothing to find them. The church is made up of ordinary people. The church is made up of nobodies. He knows that you're bad. And He intends to transform you into good slowly over the course of your whole life. But make no mistake, your badness is what attracts Him to you. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to believe this? For those who've never encountered Jesus, who stay away because they're not good enough, would you help them to believe this? And for those of us who know Jesus but have come up short in goodness and so think we should wander off, would you cause us to believe it too? And it's bad people that make good missionaries. Would you make us that way? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So think we should wander off. Would you cause us to believe it too? And it's bad people that make good missionaries. Would you make us that way? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.